Hi there, this is the Language Edutainer Podcast, your host Mirko speaking, and today we are going to talk about topics such as leadership in education, how to equip children with skills for jobs we have not invented yet. We will learn about deliberately developmental organizations, and I'm confident that we are going to experience what it is like to be happy and fulfilled in the meantime. The person who is going to lead us today is Ralph Benke. Ralph is a career consultant helping corporate businesses through digital transformation. He has lived and worked all around the world, and he now lives in Ibiza with his wife and three kids. Ralph has built several businesses, and he is passionate about helping people. From my perspective, he is an always optimistic, and very curious person with a friendly approach towards people and cheerful attitude towards life. Rolf, I am very grateful for having you on the show today. Thanks, Mirko. It's great to be on the show. It's pretty late, and I'm very grateful that you found the time to spend it here with us instead of your family. So I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know that this is going to be the information that you have are going to be very valuable for our audience and myself as well. Thanks. That's no problem. I've been spending plenty of time with my family, so uh, I really don't need to be spending any more with them. <laughs> <laughs> so now you have a little bit of break. So, so talking about this, I think I know what you're uh, pointing at. Um, can you, can you tell us, I'm when I've heard for the first time that you live on this island of Ibiza, the, the party place of Europe, as far as I know, it came to my mind, how did this guy from Cape Town got to London and ended up living in Ibiza and why Ibiza? Well, it's quite a... Uh, uh, a story really I guess um, things just happen in life and uh, I was very fortunate from a young age to be traveling and uh, continued through my teenage years uh, and spent time hitchhiking around Europe as it was then the, the early 90s and that was still something you did and uh, after studying uh, you know I spent time in San Francisco and eventually I uh, found myself sitting on a beach in Cape Town at the end of summer and um, thought, you know, I'm kind of missing my girlfriend. And so she was working in London uh, as a chef with a uh, recording studio and uh, she had a, a wonderful gig going. And so I joined her there and we started a life and uh, I've lived all over the world and worked all over the world. Um, been very fortunate to build some... Uh, very successful businesses in the UK and also uh, in Dubai and Australia. And so I've spent time in all of these places, but at some point you have a family and, uh, and London is not always the easiest place with three kids. <laughs> and so uh, we left you know, when we had two kids and, um, and I, you know, and I live between uh, the, the UK and, and Spain and Dubai. And so, I'm very international, although at the moment, um, you know, we've, we've been 
uh, here in Spain for the last six weeks. And, uh, and it's been an amazing opportunity to not travel. Um, we don't see it as the party island, of course. You know, we're just uh, living in a quiet forest near a beach and, uh, and all of that pretty much um, happens around you. And it's only 100 days in the year. And for the rest of the time, it's blissfully quiet and calm and beautiful and uh, a very natural place to be, really. Amazing. I'd like, definitely, I'd like to see um, Ibiza, for sure. Why Ibiza? Well, I had this idea of building a sculpture park. I had an art gallery in London. And uh, in fact, I launched it in, in San Francisco and we had an, a gallery in London and Cape Town. And uh, at some point, uh, I decided I was inspired by the English sculpture parks, like Yorkshire Sculpture Park is this incredible uh, space you know it's the most uh, yeah, well it's just it's just a very inspiring journey frankly um, art pieces larger than life and the, the whole experience is very uplifting and so for me it was about uh, starting to use the landscape as the art and creating space for people to move I mean I've always had ideas of can we migrate from the east coast of Africa to the west coast of Africa a hundred kilometer wide corridor where people can migrate via horseback or bicycle or by walking or hot air balloon and they would migrate from east to west Africa uh, as an experience just like hiking in Nepal you know so these are the kind of things that I think about uh, and so a small sculpture park is, is something that I can actually achieve um, but I'm actually uh, practicing this migration of people through space and um, I, but, uh, you know, so I came with the intent of, of, of doing that here. Yeah, I actually also considered doing it in Dubai. And uh, in the end, um, we, we've kind of done it, but just in our own, in our own property. And, uh, and that's very fulfilling too. Wow. So you are an artist as well? Well, I was inspired by the art of... Uh, a number of uh, tribes, uh, well, really villages um, and, and, and people in Zimbabwe, um, uh, you know, so we spent a lot of time in Zimbabwe over the years and uh, managed to work with a number of artists there to start to create stone sculpture, which they were doing anyway, um, but it may be inspiring them with more contemporary form stuff that would translate. Uh, the problem with a lot of African art is uh, that it lacks voice and it's got a distinct, you know, and I'm talking about the, the curio art, right? It's there for curio. So, uh, curio, excuse me, what do you mean by curio? It's, it's kind of like a gift, you know, something you buy as a gift. So when you go to London and you go to all those shops with Big Ben, mugs and the like those are curio items curiosities okay so, uh, you go there to buy a souvenir and uh, a lot of what is in zimbabwe is um you know this kind of souvenir grade art and there's a lot of it um but of course sitting in that group are some exceptional artists and even though they're producing this curio type product they've got skills to create masterpieces and so we okay. funded them to create masterpieces and they did um, and sometimes they used that to good effect and sometimes it, you know, created more, more problems than it was worth. But, um, 
we shipped uh, and worked with communities to, to, to ship 15 tons of sculpture um, around the world. And uh, it was an amazing uh, opportunity to uplift uh, entire villages with our commerce. And a lot of it was bartering and uh, a lot of it was, was shoe boxes of money because you changed a hundred US dollars and you were given four shoe boxes of local currency. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, this kind of fascinating time of trading, you know, go, leaving Cape Town, driving north for two days uh, into some of the wildest and most remote parts of Eastern Zimbabwe and, uh, and Central Zimbabwe and really just uncovering some of the most talented artists that we then set about building our business around. And it was a, a humbling experience. Uh, we saw the impact that we had on their children and the schooling. And, uh, you know, we saw them live their lives. Many were not alive when we returned. Um, a very, a very humbling experience. And, wow. uh, and I enjoyed it. Wow. Wow. Well, it, we just started and you are telling such amazing things. Like I would just stop the whole thing. I would just put my paper and all the questions aside and just, you know, continue on this. But, but maybe the next time I'm going to go deeper and deeper uh, on this topic. Uh, honestly, uh, to be, to be, to be honest, I wanted to, um, you know, continue this conversation just to ask you briefly about this COVID-19 thing. Like we know that Spain is, um, is in deep trouble or I don't know whether the peak is going there after the peak already or, or, or what's the situation, but how is it like uh, in, in Ibiza? Like, is it, is there any kind of, are there any precautions? Are you being uh, locked down or what's happening? Just how do you perceive it? Ah, Ibiza is the same as rest as the rest of Spain. It's uh, now into the sixth week again, you know, on Sunday, it will be six weeks in quarantine for uh, much of Spain that lives in apartments. I think this is a very trying experience. So I really feel for them. The children will be allowed out as of the 27th of April for half an hour with uh, a, an adult, two children under the age of 12. And for the rest, you know, it's a pretty strict lockdown and um, everything has been closed and remains closed other than supermarkets and pharmacies. Um, it's very quiet and relaxed. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. For us, actually, we homeschool. It, it's in many ways, it doesn't feel like a different life. But, um, you know, there, there is no traffic. There's not many people on the roads at all. Certainly mm -hmm. nothing is going on from a business point of view and um on ibiza at any rate it's a bit of a concern because the the season is very short and for this year uh, it will be they will need to be creative to even have a season and it's important to have a season um, i think equally the island will sigh a big sigh of relief uh, it's a very popular place in uh, august alone we can receive nearly a million people visiting the island it only has a population of 150,000 or so. Um, and so, uh, you know, actually this kind of calming down is a little bit of a breath of relief for, uh, certainly for the water systems. And, uh, but economically, very difficult. Yes. And, uh, it will be a, a, a major challenge for Spain, 
would be a major challenge for the island. And, you know, this is true for, I think, everywhere has got its own challenges. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, I want to understand, I want to better understand this, this profession of yours, you know, talking, talking um, about you. Um, I have a pretty good imagination, but I have, I'm having trouble to project in front of myself what actually might be the career of a consultant helping businesses through, through digital transformation look like yeah what so what does this whole consultant consultant consultanting look like like i can imagine a career consultant you know problem like for, for individual people but you know a career consultant for businesses that is tricky for me so can you give me a closer sneak peek into what your job is all about i think really the core of it is uh make ideas a reality um, you know sometimes those ideas are are called a strategy um, and uh, you know it's a program it's a project it's something that you want to achieve an outcome and uh, and so that's what we do you know at the end of the day from a transformation point of view it is understanding an opportunity understanding a direction understanding the need for capability understanding really what does the future hold and therefore what do you need in an organization in order to move into that future and to survive and ideally thrive in that in that in that uh, future i mean at, at the moment the best you can do is hope to survive like this is um Having said that, there are many companies that are doing terribly well, and uh, there are many, many opportunities in this market. So, um, but it is difficult for most, and so most have to just try and survive. And uh, what we try to do is 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 get them to new ways of operating that allow them to survive better and to perform better, and therefore thrive. And uh, when you work in as many organizations as I do, or work across as many organizations as I do, you build up a picture of what's possible and, uh, and why certain things work in one place and why they don't work in other places. And that starts to have great value. And so you become a career consultant because you're able to cross-pollinate ideas from industries and from other businesses, and that becomes very valuable to leaders because so, they can hold the mirror up. So, so you have some some kind of overview of several businesses, how they work in different places, and then you can you know exchange these ideas and and uh, as you said, this very nice word pollinate. You're like a bee and say, oh, these are doing this, these are doing these things this way. And maybe you could incorporate that here, and and so on. Is right? That's right. It's a very complex process, knitting together a transformation, and so uh, you have all of these past precedents to draw from, and uh, and the and the skill is is knowing what to apply. So we always have a very large toolkit, and this is why you know, from a transformation perspective, it's difficult 
to find people that have got deep, deep experience in it because it's still a largely quite a new practice, especially in the context of digital transformation. And it's terribly complex because you have to work at the system of the human, the system of the network, the system of the organization. But we don't just stop there. We start to look at the system of multiple organizations because your supply chain is made up of many other businesses. And so when you spend your time thinking about systems at the scale of industry, you start to get a different understanding of how supply and demand really manifests within an extended supply chain. Because before there is that demand, there is a potential for demand. And that is typically set out as a forecast, which then drives how much seed you buy, which then drives how much you plant, which then drives how much you harvest, how much goes through the auction house, how much goes through the packaging house, how much ends up as tea in a supermarket and what then goes out to the consumer. But of course, now we're understanding that, you know, those tea bags have got plastic in them. Um, but there's also organic material in there that has got potential value from as an energy source. And so, you know, recycling the tea bag requires us to create yet another system, which is how we repurpose that product into something that can add value as a raw material to something else. And, uh, and this is really where the role of the consultant comes in because, you know, you're trying to architect solutions for problems that are at the scale of humanity. And so we have to really think about systems that are at the scale of industry um, and beyond. Um, and, and, this is, and this is the key to really addressing the world's well, you're going in a great depth, I have to say. You're just not taking it superficially like, okay, let's talk about this company and what they can do better, but how to incorporate the whole system together. Amazing. Um, can you give us just an example of one or two, you know, some companies that you co cooperate with? Because you said that you have a huge portfolio of, of companies, just one of two, just to imagine maybe some popular one that we might have the idea of. In my early uh, stages of my career, I was very uh, fortunate to uh, be driving on a bus down Oxford Street and I saw the lights of Selfridges and I thought to myself, wow, this is an amazing place. And I started my retail career in Selfridges in London. That's the, that's the shopping mall or something like that, no? It's, it's... Yeah, it's kind of... Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a single large shop with a lot of luxury products. Mm -hmm. And this was such an eye opener to me because it really kind of exemplified the idea of retail theater. And of course, you know, Mr. Selfridge built it with that in mind. And, uh, and from there I I've worked with, um, so many of the international brands like, uh, mother care and Debenhams Tesco for many years, Burberry, uh, Arcadia, uh, many of the retailers in the Middle East, Woolworths Australia uh, with their supermarket business as well as Big W and a number of their other brands with ASOS uh, a number of times um, as well as um, you know many others in, in many other uh, countries and uh, I've been privileged to work with some very capable people that have been able to drive a lot of exciting change and uh, and since then i've expanded um to work with uh 
other industries. So currently I work with a number of uh, businesses in the, the housing industry. Um, I've worked with healthcare businesses. Um, so uh, you get to apply your skills to all, all kinds of trades and, and that makes it exciting because it's the, the cross-pollination from industry that is sometimes, um, you know, the most interesting. Um, although retail, I would say, has a terribly complex model that actually is a fantastic foundation for almost any other business. So, geez, I'm looking forward to the next. I'm looking forward to the to the to the answers to my question that I have prepared for you here because because I just from your how you're speak, saying and you know describing all these experience that you have it's, it's amazing I knew you are experienced I knew you have traveled but I was not ex expecting this for example when you mentioned Selfridges uh, I know that uh, in Slovak television I have been there was a there was this uh, there was a, a series but actually this was more like another movie but it was like a um, how would I say it it's like uh, not a, it, it was basically a series about this this um, this whole chain not chain but this whole this not shop but this empire of his that he built and all the struggles he was the struggles he was going through and it was very amazing and I watched every single episode for, for from it so you now when you told me that you worked there or work, you worked cooperated with them it's amazing to hear that wow. You travel, do you travel a lot? I mean, you, you said already, but do you travel a lot? I mean, are you able to do this work of yours on, uh, you know, on, from distance or do you need to physically travel a lot? It's important to build strong relationships, I think. And, uh, and so in part, um, it, this does require some travel, but, you know, the game has really changed a lot and I don't, I don't think, what was is going to be um there is a need for travel um there is just something in the complexity of some of the work that we do that cannot uh, cannot transpire in uh in, in in a virtual setting i'm not so it can be done um but especially when you're trying to move fast there's nothing like a team that is in the same room and are working together and i'm talking you know sometimes teams of 50 60 70 people all working to get a major delivery live and uh, of course you know aspects of those teams will be distributed um so there's always an element of virtual working to everything i do and i've successfully worked uh virtually for uh for for, for many many years uh, however, what I would say is that, um, you know, in my role, uh, travel is required less and less because I change the way that I work and that I influence. And, um, and so I think there is a need to travel within the consulting industry. For me personally, my journey has been to reduce that. However, uh, a lot of the travel is also where I get my inspiration, you know, so when I'm in Hong Kong and uh, I am stranded for four days because Australia haven't approved my visa for entry and, uh, and I can't 
get to my meeting in Sydney, you know, then I will go and visit literally every single retail business that I can. And uh, I will go and explore and see what's going on. I will talk to people and I will try and learn and understand. And, uh, and that learning, you know, I take to the next place, to Sydney. This is what I found in Hong Kong. This is what's going on in London. Oh, interesting. This is what's going on here. Great. Okay, well, I'm just on my way back to Dubai. And when I get to Dubai, I can talk about, well, this is what's going on in London and this is what's going on in Hong Kong and this is what's going on in Sydney. Oh, really? This is really interesting. And so, uh, you know, that, that is, um, that's important because it's the speed of information and the ability to see things on the ground that are truly insightful, especially during times when uh, retail anyway is facing universal change. A lot of the conversations that I was having in different countries were with, uh, with department stores um, that are being deserted by customers. And a lot of that conversation was how do you maintain relevance in a changing market as a department store? Mm-hmm. So sharing that insight across those markets is quite fascinating because there's a lot of similar challenges, um, but also a lot of different challenges. Yet you know, there is something quite common in, in uh, the way consumers are, uh, are behaving, let's say, or at least how they continue to change. And um, yeah, so, so I don't know what travel means from here on, uh, Mirko. I, I, I enjoy it so much, but I, I'm pretty sure that I will reduce my travel by half, if not more. Uh, you, will, you, will be, you will be forced to do it. Like maybe if you wouldn't like to, you will need to. to, to well, I, I think this has given us an opportunity to uh, uh, have a more honest conversation with ourselves about what we're capable of. I think people have become more accommodating to say, you know what, actually before I would have demanded that as a face-to-face meeting, but now I'm happy to have it over a um, uh, Zoom or a Teams call or the like. And so uh, that has created more flexibility in the system. Now, you know, whether that level of uh, accommodating behavior is going to continue, let's see. Um, yes, I, I think in part it, it, it certainly will. And I will practice it because, um, frankly, the, the, the carbon footprint of somebody that is traveling heavily is, uh, is, is significant. Yes. And I do, you know, offset my own with uh, some tropical hardwood plantations that I invested in many years ago. Uh, and I have 2,000 trees. <laughs> and uh well i think i need another twenty thousand, really yes yes well that's a that's a that's a great goal if everyone had this kind of goal at least planting 100 trees whatever it doesn't matter but if this this brings me to a wonderful book and actually there's a there's also like a video story the man who planted trees i think it was written by a canadian okay canadian french author and I think it's Antoine Balzac or something. And that that uh, that book or that that short story just warms me, warms my heart so much. Like how much one person was able to do in a series of ten 
then uh, 40 or, or 30 years but that's another story but that's that's amazing that you, you already have several thousands of trees that you help to plant or or or, or, or uh, I, I, only, only two but uh, uh yeah it, it was a little project that i was fortunate enough to get involved in and yes uh, yes only two thousand yes only two thousand but that's a, that's a good, good that's a hell of a start for me i'm gonna be inspired by this for sure um how did life prepare you like for this profession like what you are doing is and what you are telling me is just so complex it's just uh there are so many aspects you have to deal with how did life prepare you for this where did you you know study study you can tell us just briefly uh, what directions did, did your working experience take you and and so on i mean you already mentioned and tapped something so if there's anything you need to adjust, uh, add to that like but i'm interested for example interested in where what what did you study and where i studied in cape town and i studied retail business management which was really uh a good opportunity to spend a lot of time on the beach <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Well, I was expecting anything you're going to say, everything, but not this. <laughs> like I thought it was good. It was a novelty or there was a new opportunity, blah, blah, blah. But you know, to spend time on the beach. Okay, bring it on. Like, <laughs> well, we had our priorities straight. It was uh, Cape Town in, in, uh, in the mid 90s and uh, it was a phenomenal time. Uh, I loved every minute of it and uh, it prepared me for nothing. Uh, really, um, I saw I was dead surprised how little I knew when <laughs> I went out into the real world. Okay, uh, okay, so that's university. What about life? I, my first question was how did first first part, how did life prepare you on this? How did you get if you know to, to this whole thing? Where did it start at least? What was the big big first uh, opportunity? Oh, you know they. they 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 have been consistent. I, I think uh, I have always enjoyed the process of working. For me, it was an idea that maybe you don't want to work in a corporate environment. You know, so early on, I had this idea that I would die in an office, and so I started many businesses and lost all my money seven times. And then I said, I'm not going to start any more businesses. And that's when I was sat on the bus and drove past Selfridges and said, oh, maybe I will get a job there, which I then did the next week. And, uh, and that was really my break. Um, but it wasn't such a, a break as such. You know, it just started a journey and uh, an interest in what I had studied. And I, I say flippantly that my studies didn't prepare me. Um, you know, there were elements, but there was an aspect of uh, the whole reality of what's going on that I, I felt was succinctly missing in what we learned. And so it was difficult to really apply at that time. Of course, later, now that I, I, I look at it, I can appreciate some of what we learned and um, just how uh, disconnected it truly was from reality, um, especially in, a, in, in the digitally transformed environment we're working today. So uh, I think it was just a path, really, Mirko. I started in a path. That path happened to be in retail. And uh, I, I very early on worked on some of the most complex transformations 
that uh, that you can do in retail, or, you know, at a global scale. And so you 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 learn things, you understand things, and you learn how big systems work. So one of the mantras I've always enjoyed is uh, you don't understand a system until you try until you change a system and so i've changed every part of uh, an organization and so i understand uh, a system in a particular way however the important thing here is that it's still all about people and uh, you can be as good as you want in systemic thinking if you don't understand the nature of people and relationships and uh, the vested interest that people have in the status quo and how to prize them from that, then you can't achieve anything. And so my own journey has taken me into uh, a more holistic approach to transformation. So away from the nuts and bolts of technology into the tools that technology represent um, and building the individual capability to interact with those tools and the team capability to deliver value. And so uh, that's about designing new organizations and that's what drives me today. So I've been fortunate enough to work with some of the leading thinkers in transformation, uh, certainly within my clients, as well as the, the team that I have and uh, many of the partners that I work with and uh, I'm fortunate enough to get exposure to all of the big software companies and work with you know, some of the best minds in data science. Um, and, uh, and it's you know, the capability that we now have in organizations is astounding and people really do need to understand that uh, a big shift um, happened. Uh, not is happening, it already happened. And, oh, really? uh, Every small company has the same capability to uh, query data, to apply automation and AI as any big business. And uh, that's truly uh, an amazing achievement really to make available to small and medium sized businesses. And it means they can specialize and they can use technology to, to drive value in ways that we could never have imagined. within these thoughts you were just telling me you mentioned that you were able and fortunate enough to be uh, in the presence of people who were in the lead of even personal uh, personal transformation right well personal transformation team transformation and organization transformation so and we think it's very holistically and this is and this is what I what I wanted to continue actually on this on this uh, note, because the mission of this podcast is to help people reinvent their teacher selves. What I mean by that is to help them transform their lives through reinventing what their essence deep down, their life meaning is all about. And I believe that in every person there is a hidden teacher. So that's why it's reinvent the or re reinvent their teacher selves. Yeah. So by reinventing yourself, I believe if somebody is really going deep, there's a little bit of teacher in each one of us. And uh, hopefully the thoughts and ideas challenging from this podcast are going to be useful for them in this process. 
And I'm very happy that you are talking about transformation because I know you had many, many <laughs> aha moments and I think everybody understood it from so what you, what you said so far in your life. And somewhere along the way, you have understood that change and transformation is multidimensional. I have been very fascinated by this idea and would like you to tell us more about what you mean by this transformation is multidimensional. Yeah, so uh, in my early career, I spent a lot of time thinking about all the it things that needed to happen in order to drive the transformation. And the it things are, well, we need a project plan, we need to put a system in, we need to deliver it, we need to train some people, we need to communicate to them. And these are all it things, really. And so we would build 10,000 line plans of all of the things that we needed to do to go live with a big system. And uh, a lot of uh, that just focused on bits and bytes, migrations, testing, development, stuff that you have to do. And so the term for this is, is it. And as I was going through my experience, I learned that really to drive true transformation, it actually requires a change in capability of the people that are leading the transformation, the people that are participating and receiving it. Um, and, uh, and it needs typically to drive some form of change in values, drives, drives a change in behaviors, um, which starts to create culture. And culture is this thing that we can't really interact with. It just kind of happens. We pull lots of levers and lots of different things happen. You know, culture is really uh, the power engine of any business. Get the culture right and you'll have an amazing business. And, um, and so, um, yeah, this is really uh, part of the, the I and the we, the, uh, and, and that's the multi-dimension. So you have the it's the I, so my capability to lead transformation, to inspire others, my capability to deal with uh, ambiguity, my capability to be resilient in the face of uh, challenges, because every transformation is fought with, with challenges, and uh, at the end of the day, my capability to lead. And so that becomes about the personal development. But what we also know is that the best network wins. And, uh, and so this we space, this interaction of people and optimizing that interaction of people by making them better individuals is really what the multidimensional aspect of transformation is. And so a lot of the resistance of transformation comes from people and it's because we're trying to throw stuff at them it's stuff and they're going we don't like this i don't know what to do with this i don't have the skills to cope with this wow this is amazing because for example right now i told you that uh, um all right, I, I mentioned that um, it's very possible that uh, I'm going to become the ambassador for uh, a methodology in, uh, in our region. And this is exactly what you're talking about. Like you can take the best methodology, the best, you know, teaching tips and skills and give it to somebody who is not willing to apply to them or he's not willing to apply them, who is not willing to change a little bit of his approach. And you can give them those it's 
it, it, it hears this, hears it, hears it. But if the person doesn't make a change in, in itself, it doesn't transform itself, doesn't open its mind a little bit to new approaches or doesn't go out from the comfort zone. And this, this applies to teachers so much in Slovakia, many, many people, uh, many, many teachers, but I have to say not all are just rigid don't want to change, don't want to get out of their comfort zone, don't want to, you know, do these things. And you can bring them the best thing in the world, but they say, ah, no, 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 because I have to learn this. So yes, this is what this podcast is also about. If we want to change, a transform, make a transformation in the society, we need to change the, the, our own approach as teachers. And uh, maybe then we will be willing to, you know, reach out for the best tools and eventually we're going to make the best teaching experience for children. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about, you know, producing something or if we're talking of some services or we are talking about teaching. And maybe I think this is what you have in mind. I wanted to, you know, just compare with something that how I see it. Well, this is, this is exactly right. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's uh, not just about, the teachers it's also about the students it's also about the parents and so yes uh, yes absolutely right absolutely right i just didn't went into that uh, sphere right now but you're absolutely right and, and and this is really where the big opportunity lies right now because parents are deeply involved in directing their children's schooling and the teachers have to change because they've now had to adopt new meth methods and uh, the parents will understand much better what the children are actually being taught and how they're being taught and so i think education will certainly be different and changed after this um, however you know it is an area that lacks creativity and has lacked change yet uh it's the area that adds you know arguably most valuable value to society and so um education is our, our most valuable uh, capability and so we need to continue to improve it and matt silver from uh, the uh, shaftesbury uh, complex needs uh, high school uh, has an amazing model he has taken a leadership development approach to enabling staff in his school to design a new way of operating and actually this brings us to what you spoke about earlier, deliberately developmental organizations. Yes, yes, and yes. What Matt has been able to do is give his individual teachers uh, some coaching to build their leadership skills. He's then given them some space and a direction to come up with a new way of operating with uh, a council uh, that is representative of everybody in the school. And they have incubated several new initiatives in the school to combat the employability issue so only six percent of the children in complex needs schools are able to find employment when they graduate and what matt has done is through his school curriculum over the last two years they make 400 hours available to incubate a startup digital business and they provide hot desks so that after these children graduate they can still come back to the school to continue to run their digital business this is an environment they feel safe in you know these are children with asperger's and uh, 
uh, they've got um, autism and the like. And so a familiar environment is actually important. And so he's creating, uh, a, you know, he's flipping the tables so that it's 96% of them leave with the job and, and you know, uh, 4% of them can't find a job. But anyway, so that's the number. 6% of them can get employment. And through leadership development, through the development of self, through the development of uh, the maturity of the team, they have been able to apply better quality thinking. And that has resulted in a very innovative solution for a most you know, meaningful benchmark. And they are a shining light. And so this is what the value of leadership development in education brings. Yeah, well, this is this is so inspiring and so motivating that even, you know, like we can change this whole uh, system we live in. This, uh, this has been constructed for us. If we really want to, we can make changes and have results. And that is just so encouraging to hear these kind of stories that you that you mentioned. Thank you for that. Uh, can you just tell to the listeners like where uh, just to repeat the name of these organizations or where could they find it just for a moment and i will put it uh, into the description it's the, it's, it, the uh, head teacher's name is matt silver and he's the head teacher of the shaftesbury high school for complex needs children mm -hmm. like matt matt silver and shaft asbury school Shaftesbury, yes uh -huh. yeah. okay i know that he has been on your podcast and I've uh, listened to this um, to this to this part. I have to be. I have to say that you said it in a very. You just digested in a very nice way, and it just made pure sense. Uh, so thank you for bringing this up. We will definitely go further, and I will look. I will definitely go further and look look this up. What uh, he has achieved so far. Now, um, we have spoken about some parts of your life, your career, the experiences you got. And um, I have, uh, I know that you have many successes. And if you, even you mentioned that you failed or you lost your money in your business seven times, right? Oh, many more times since. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to say, I wanted to ask you like, um, uh, well, you say that uh, every success starts with few failures. Okay. Maybe some more, some less, but minimum few failures need to be there. And this is the story of life. Uh, could you tell us about something successful, successful you have achieved? And for the moment, focus on the failures you needed to overcome uh, you know, along the way, because again, I keep this bringing up because many young people think and look at you like, look, he's at the Ibiza, it's easy, maybe he's from a rich family or whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. All these thoughts that we have programmed in our brains that it's just, it, it can't be a co coincidence that this guy is, you know, so, so let's say well off because I honestly don't know exactly what your financial situ situation is. And, but, you know, just to, to show like what difficulties you needed to go through. Just one example uh, in order to reach success. Well, I think uh, my nature is one, uh, you know, where it's a, a very much an, uh, an all or nothing approach. And so, um, you know, I, I, I have 
put uh, myself on the line many times. And uh, I think we're very proud of what we're achieving at the moment. Um, yeah, there have been uh, some real highlights, but we're trying to drive something very important now. And it's about learning and it's about development. Um, and I think it's important to make that distinction. Um, and so for me, you know, we have uh, participated um, in a very exciting leadership development academy build with a client that um, I think is, uh, is, is a project we're very proud of and we're uh, collaborating to, to take this to market and to um, really, really achieve scale. So the idea is to take uh, coaching that's normally reserved for the leadership team and create digital versions of it that can actually uh, be applied across the organization and for people to learn really key skills and uh, that way that you can increase the capability of the organization as a whole so, and so projects so, like this are very exciting for me and uh, we are uh, working on a launch of, of one of these currently um, where we are also at the same time we've built out a phenomenal academy platform for virtual academy training and uh, you know our business, uh, our pipeline disappeared nearly eighty percent overnight. Um, so we are building our business from the ground up. Um, we have started a game, as everybody has. And in consulting, you know that's the way it goes. You you are only as good as your pipeline of clients. And right now, most, not all, but most clients, uh, as I said earlier, are in survival mode. And so. Um, it'll be a few weeks before they really start coming back. Um, and, uh, and, but fortunately, we have some great clients that are, are moving forward with a number of, of, of interesting projects. And so it allows us to stabilize the business. And so this is probably one of the most challenging moments I've ever, ever, ever experienced in my life. So, um, you know, we are uh, all, all going to the wall um, for, for this. So, so if I understood, if I understand this right, you are building or creating a project where you are you are going to be giving these high, uh, top, top, let's say five percent um, leaders in a company, like the, like the top management would only get this kind get this kind of skill training, and you would like to scale it down to a broader, uh, lower levels of organization in order to make the whole company or whole organization structure of the company better, more efficient. And this is what you're building. Yep. Absolutely. And we've been you know, building these types of academies for, for many years. Uh, we're, we're just putting it together much better now. And so the opportunity for people to develop you know the kind of skills that can avoid uh, burnout uh, but equally the kind of skills that can allow them to network better and therefore perform better in their organization and uh, the kind of skills that allow them to understand the nature of organizational transformation uh, so that they can take increasingly complex roles and um, um. 
Yes, to be just more, more to be all in all more efficient, more efficient in in well, and capable level. and capable, obviously, yes. And but you said that you know the funnel of your clients were, is now you know a big part is gone. But I think this crisis or what is coming after afterward afterwards is going to be wonderful for what what you have to offer because those people and those country uh, those companies will need to you know stand their ground and for they for that they will need more skilled and you know more better prepared lead prepared leaders in their com in their organizations so maybe after this what's now in a standby mode is going to thrive thrive as crazy absolutely Mirka. you know what we have to understand is that uh, what a senior executive uh, is experiencing in running a modern business um, is something, you know, we've never seen this before in humanity. Uh, the stresses of the job are extreme. And uh, um, uh, it's, a, it's a wonder, really, that people function <laughs> under the conditions that they do. Um, but there are, of course, you know, many, many reasons why they do what they do. And uh, there are, are, are many that get great, great joy and fulfillment out of the work that they do. Um, but we shouldn't take for granted just how hard it is and uh, just the level of responsibility that we face. So I think um, we have to build resilience in the workforce. And... Um, from there, we have to be able to create the kind of organizations that do enable a level of autonomy and mastery and some level of self-direction because then people can take ownership and when they take ownership, then amazing things happen. And so... One thing that comes to my mind, only one word, we need to trust more. Absolutely trust more and that that that's great because maybe I'm not, I'm not saying this is the bottom line but this is you know what we need to do and even here i in slovakia with, with in my field i know that it's it's very difficult you know if somebody new comes in you train him you give him all the know-how you you, uh, you you can and then you're worried you know when are they going to go to the competition where are they going going to open and you know uh, their own branch or something and you know try to apply your knowledge uh, into the real life but you know I was stressed for a long time and nervous because of this but right now I'm changing my mind and I said okay it's all all in the pack if if this is going to happen it's going to happen good luck but I'm still I'm, I'm going to trust I need to trust there's no other way you know I cannot protect myself ever endlessly and uh, you you need to be a little bit sometimes you need to be uh, uh, vulnerable you need to show vulnerability vulnerability okay that word you know vulnerability vulnerability no okay good it's it's late <laughs> my tongue is a little bit twisted right now uh, or slipping uh, well this was mainly about your education in 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 many aspects to what you are doing it's, it's everywhere yeah training leadership uh, mentorship uh coaching and that's all education but 
what I'm and what I'm looking forward is your personal life because in your personal life with your wife as you already mentioned you homeschool three children which is a which is a tremendous task I, I can imagine and I'm you know I'm this is extremely interesting for me because this is something I want to do with my two little you know sons so what a um, you are saying that one of the most important things to focus in the process of education, you know, is, is to answer the why, especially in math. What do you mean by that? Like, first, first of all, my first question, like, how is it to homeschool your children? And the second, you know, uh, what do you mean by this, uh, you know, focusing on answering the why? Well, I think, uh, you know, when you understand the context of something, you understand the reason for it and it can make sense. I think so often learning is abstract. You're told to learn this concept, but you don't really understand what the purpose of it is. And when Why? you write the purpose, you can understand the how much better. And, uh, and of course you have an idea of when you might use it. Uh, and so we've had continuous experiences of this. And uh, I guess the maths reference is probably more down to uh, a concept that we came across recently in my son's maths curriculum called SIRDS. And uh, SIRDS allow you to deal with whole numbers and avoid using fractions. And this is important when you're building a bridge from two sides and you want the bridge to meet up because when you use fractions, you lose decimal places along the way through the rounding process and your bridge ends up not meeting each other. And so for the channel tunnel and for uh, building bridges from two sides, they use a uh, particular method called SIRDS. And, uh, and we questioned this. What is this, this bizarre method of maths? Why are we learning this? And then we found this uh, incredible story about the application of SIRDS and how important it was. And so it got me so interested in it, and I started learning SIRDS. And so uh, I have no need to, to, to learn SIRDS. I wouldn't learn SIRDS, but because I started to understand the context, I understood the why, uh, it sparked an interest. And, and I think this is what we have to do a thousand times a day. Uh, and so start with why. Maybe as you said, when you were just, uh, uh, at the university and you said, maybe you didn't see, as you, as you said, why am I doing this? And as you said, later on in your life, you understood like, well, aha, so here's the why. <laughs> that was useful for me, right? At least parts of it. Absolutely. <laughs> Superb. Um, talking about maths, uh, have you ever heard about this STEM approach, S-T-E-M approach? Uh, I have, yes. Yes, it's, it's uh, incorporating the science, technology, engineering, engineering and mathematics. Yeah. To develop, well, different, several skills, but one of, one of them is problem solving. Do you somehow or anyhow, you know, uh, incorporate this into your education with your children? Absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, applying a project-based approach to learning is, um, is, is critical and we take every opportunity to do it. I think 
the coursework is quite intensive. So just getting through everything, uh, certainly at the level of our oldest son can be quite a challenge. Um, and, uh, but project work allows them to work independently. And so when they're able to take what they've learned and they can apply it in building a website and structuring some type of, uh, digital project uh, t typically, um, then you can get great value out of that. Um, but I think there are, you know, many models that do it even better than the way that, that we do it. Um, you know, if you have an entire school that is based on a project methodology where kids can apply their skills, then uh, for me, this is really the best way uh, because you can make mistakes and you can very quickly integrate them. And of course, if you get the opportunity to repeat the process, you even get to fix those mistakes. And that's really what school is all about, right? It's a safe environment where you can apply and make mistakes and fix them and learn what the difference is about your two ways and, of going about it. And play and play and play is about making mistakes and not having, you know, stress about it, not stress about it, but just take it as a part of the game. Yeah. Amazing. Um, talking about this problem solving, talking about uh, projects, um, in the values that you stand for, I have found, among others, systemic thinking and planetary solutions. What do these concepts mean to you? Well, systemic thinking is about taking an end-to-end -end view. And, uh, and not really being limited by boundaries because, you know, we are systems within systems. And, uh, of course, at some point you have to stop um, and it's unnecessary to go any further. Yep. Uh, but, of course, you, you know, we, we are really understanding now more so than ever the deeply connected nature of things and certainly our own level of uh, humanity and uh, Certainly, we share a common challenge in, uh, in, in, in C19. So I, I think this has given us a, a real sense of the, the, the interconnected nature of things. And so planetary really comes from the realization that it is a single planetary system. And, uh, and so whatever we do, we are part of that system and uh therefore you know thinking at the level of the planet is actually quite fundamental to how we construct our way from here it's really important for companies to think about their role in the planetary system and uh they haven't really thought about their role in the planetary system they've ignored that <laughs> they were they were interested in different roles right well beneficial uh, mainly beneficial for them I don't want to lay the the uh, the, the problem purely at the, the door of uh, business, but of course, you know we want consumers and people to democratically elect to have clean air and mm -hmm. to not be reliant on fossil fuels. And to date, uh, that movement, you know, has uh, is is still gathering pace, and of course, it's gathered some real momentum. But uh, we still have a long way to go, and uh, the pressures are building. Yes, and we, I somehow I feel that we we are we have a long way to go, but still we have less and less time. So it's better to you know get our 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 stuff together, 
sooner than soon. And maybe COVID-19 is one of these, uh, you know, pushing elements that are bringing us, bringing us more together. Because so far what I've understood is that um, in the past millennia or, you know, how, how, how long backwards we want to go, uh, people, humanity was excellent in dividing, division. You know, I am Slovak, you are, you are Afrikaans, he is English, she is British, and they, they are Canadian, and, you know, or you are a Manchester United uh, fan, and I am Liverpool, and he is this, he is that, she's from a village, he's from a town. Just division, 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 division. But as you said, we live on one planet, on one entire system, which is built up of several systems. <laughs> And if we, we will not start thinking about this as we can contribute to the health of the system, the system is, you know, going to take us apart. And maybe this is what this was one of a very, or this is currently a very big warning sign for us. Like we should put ourselves together, bring ourselves together very soon and faster than fast. And talking about these things, you know, talking about planetary solutions, can you think of one of, I believe, many things, but just one that keeps you up at night? What is this, you know, one of many that you say, like? Nothing keeps me up at night, Mirko. Nothing? <laughs> uh, I sleep very well. No, I... I, I uh... I, uh, agility is really key for me agility uh, agility agility yeah no so uh be, being able to respond quickly activate my network um you know in 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 my line of work uh we're always facing a new challenge that requires uh, extreme action to create a new outcome and uh okay so when you I cannot think, sleep yeah. when you when you cannot sleep at night if the, if it happens at all but if it sometimes happens it's because you're you, you are thinking how to come up with a solution for some kind of problem uh, yeah you know so we're, we're always trying to come up with the option that creates more options and uh um and you know so I, I'm, I'm lucky to have a very good team around me and um, we're able to cope with most, most things that come our way. So, uh, but, uh, you know, what concerns me um, in as far as these things aren't really to be too concerned about. So if you can't do anything about it, you know, why worry? Uh, mm -hmm. But I, I, I feel like, we can do a lot more about a lot of things and we ignore them. And so I find this deeply unfortunate and uh, it would be wonderful to do more. And so I push myself very hard to achieve greater capabilities to do more with what I've got and to approach life with some urgency, but just really try and enjoy every step as well. Yes. Well, I think the key element you said is uh, you can sleep well at night because you've got this team of people that you can trust and, uh, you know, you know that you can rely on them in case you need them or any time, if I can say it this way.
right? Absolutely. Perfect. I'm happy that I perceive your things in a in the in the right way. All about um, the team, Mirka. Sorry. All about the team. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, we are slowly approaching till the end, so. Um, we are talking about, you know, solutions. We maybe mentioned uh, um, how corporations can, can or, or, or companies can, or systems can make themselves more effective. And um, what do you think, or when you imagine the future, what should education in the 21st century look like and what is the teacher's role in it? I th think we, you, you already slightly said some some things that if somebody was paying attention or i believe that many people are going to be paying attention carefully you know regarding uh, uh, leadership coaching and so on should be involved but let's hear it from you in an, a nice uh, condensed thought because i think you, you have great ways of expressing it so again what should education in the 21st century look like and what is the teacher's role in it well, I think the teacher's role is to curate uh, development experiences, and uh, and so the teacher really needs a clear direction of what capability they want the kids to achieve, but they need freedom in how they get there. And, uh, and I think that's quite important because that allows us to have structure in the system, but also give the freedom for people to apply creativity. And that's also context uh, sensitive, you know, so you can apply the right examples for children in different parts of the world and different parts of the country. And, uh, and I think that would be an amazing shift in education to be able to allow that, especially because we're able to rely on so, so much of what digitized training. Um, personally, I really love the idea of open learning uh, and the Khan Academy where uh, children that have completed higher levels of a particular tranche of the knowledge tree are able to coach children that are just learning that lesson for the first time. And so uh, it doesn't really matter how old you are. It's just, are you interested in that branch yet or not? And when you're ready, you will do it. And you have to do it by a certain age. Um, but, you know, you don't have to do it all at the same time. And so yeah. this idea that you are developing, uh, but I think that's only a part of, of, of the process. And what we know is that children leave school with very little understanding of uh, financial management. Um, you know, they don't know how to run their financial lives. And so this becomes a problem. I think um, children don't truly understand uh, how to fuel their bodies and how to look after their bodies. And so these become lifestyle factors and choices. And because we're ill-informed, um, we eat the wrong foods, we train the wrong way, we sleep in the wrong way, we spend our money in the wrong way. And, uh, and actually, we come up with a very one-dimensional view. And we certainly don't learn anything about how to learn, um, truly how to learn. 
Uh, there's very few schools that teach speed reading, for example. People think speed reading is about reading fast, but speed reading is about super fast comprehension. And mm -hmm. it's about training a level of recall on comprehension that uh, is you know, beyond what you can achieve through normal reading. Interesting that you said this because um, I think that there is a problem that even parents nowadays, one of the main problems that they have, they have problem with reading with comprehension. So obviously these are facts that translate to children. Again, I'm not generalizing and I'm not saying everybody, but there's a big, big portion of parents that have this problem or at least lack behind way, way more than they should, <laughs> if I say it this way. And I can say this from personal experience because well, I have had uh, the privilege to, to work with hundreds and hundreds, with, with hundreds and hundreds of children in the past uh, almost uh, 10 years. And that means then a lot of, lot of children, uh, a lot of, lot of bands. So I know what I'm talking about. Amazing. Um, one more thing I wanted to uh, question regarding your answer. You said there's this some, some, some kind of con or concept or something where the children are able to teach even in a younger, younger age if they have sufficient knowledge. What was the name of it? Because I've never heard of this. Oh, the Khan Academy. So the Khan Academy um, has actually been around for some years now. It was a uh, chap that was teaching his niece uh, some maths problems and he was making YouTube videos for her and his YouTube videos got more and more popular because he had a very good way of explaining complex problems. And so he realized there was a demand for that. And so they've now built it out to incorporate uh, all of the maths and, and sciences. And uh, it's a true knowledge tree and you grow and develop your knowledge. Um, and as I say, because you are kind of moving through the body of knowledge and other children have already been through it, when you get stuck, you're able to call on them and you know who's done it. And you can't progress unless you've integrated the learning which means you can't get left behind. And that's very powerful. And this is what you can't achieve within a classroom environment because the yes. teacher doesn't know whether you've understood it or not. But in this method, you know, because it's... Wow. Khan, Khan, Khan Academy, yeah? Khan Academy. Wow, I'm gonna look that up for sure. And I, I believe that many of people who are really interested in this, and I, I hope that there are going to be more and more are going to take a look into this. Now, um, it is the 22nd of April and today is the 50th anniversary, uh, anniversary of the Earth Day and in this occasion I would like to say hello to our fellow podcaster and wonderful scientist, inventor and environmentalist Francesca Jean or Jeanne, Shirley and uh, I would like to send the her, my support to her in making this planet a better place by literally bringing light to people without electricity, without electricity all over the world. You can find out more about her endeavor at um, namenisolarlight.com. Namene is N-A-M-E-N-E, -E, solarlight.com, or her podcast, Solution for Climate Revolution, 
Um, I just needed to say this. I needed to include this into the podcast today. And uh, thank you for listening. And I hope you're going to support her. Take a look. Wonderful person and uh, amazing things. Do you agree? You agree, Ralph, I suppose? I think she has uh, the most incredible product with an inspiring initiative. And uh, she deserves all the support she can get. Her mission is to get 100 million solar lights distributed around the world to people uh, who rely on kerosene lamps and uh, it's terribly toxic it's harmful to them it's harmful to the environment you can't find a more important mission amazing amazing and that's why i wanted to come up this uh, come bring this up and i'm happy that uh, i have you here to support what i'm saying and giving some extra additional information so people if we can help her in this mission now we are almost um, at the end, so you, you yourself started an amazing podcast called The Bleeding Edge Podcast, where you reveal stories behind the people, the projects, and the technologies that are changing the way we live and work. What is it like, and how did the course we both took part in at London Real influence and change your life? So what are your feelings about it? I think it has been uh, a incredible experience that has been very humbling uh, because obviously through this you have to, as you said earlier, make yourself quite vulnerable and <laughs> thing to do. And so, from that point of view, you experience some accelerated development, and uh, and so I enjoy this. Uh, it is a kind of phase face the fear and do it anyway type process and I really enjoy that and um, some inspirational people and a really crazy time to actually go through this type of process and so, um, I'm very grateful for it really yes and especially on the London real platform <laughs> going through through this this process with them it, it's quite a ride Absolutely. Very exciting. And uh, you, you couldn't have written it in a book. So it means a lot to me. And it hasn't really, you know, changed my, my life per se. Uh, it's, um, it's given me a outlet for um, a lot of fascinating people and important ideas. And it's, it's incredible to be able to bring those ideas to a bigger audience and to share them with people that care and people are interested in uh, how they might improve their own businesses and their own teams and their own lives. And, uh, and, and that's, and that's a very fulfilling process. And what I really like about this whole thing that the majority, not majority, all of the people doing these things, all, you know, trying to get into the podcasting, at least what I have been able to uh, meet and get to know in within this course want to help other people you know so it's not firstly uh about themselves but it's you know about supporting the other ones and i think that's 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 uh, an, a noble thing to follow and you are one of these people and i'm very grateful for for having you here now um yeah Again, another pair person I could be go, going on and on and on for hours because you've got so much to say and I, I would have so many, uh, you know, additional questions to you. But in regards to all of your experience, knowledge, and I have to say wisdom, 
because yeah, I mean it's it's my pleasure listening to you and I'm really curious about what you're gonna how you're gonna answer this last question of mine. So, what do you think, Ralph? Uh, what positive influence um, is this COVID-19 virus going to have for humanity, taking in consideration the state of our pl planet, you know, now and for the future? Oh, I love this question. I contemplate it uh, often. And uh, the truth is, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I, I feel that uh, we have actually many problems that are at the same scale as COVID. Uh, we have just chosen to pick on this one right now and focus on it. And, uh, and so that does create some other problems because there are things we need to be solving and we're not. Um, and this is an important one for us to crack as well. And so for the time being, I think it's appropriate that we focus on it, but we very quickly have to get back to focusing on the others. And my hope is that, as you said, you know, our approach of through greater community and greater collaboration that we will find a way to actually uh, deal with more complex problems at a, at a planetary scale. And uh, this is certainly what a lot of my colleagues talk about. And, um, and, and so we hope that that level of collaboration that has certainly been initiated by this starts. I think also just the level of empathy has increased. And so I would hope that uh, the empathy that people feel for each other and the community spirit that, is evident as a result is something that we can continue and that we can continue that across nations, not just within, uh, within countries. And I think uh, those are the types of lasting changes that if they can even trickle through and have, you know, a 5% difference. Uh, but there are many things because I think, you know, we have started to experience clean skies, um, you know, places like India where pollution has been a significant problem especially cities like Mumbai and Delhi, you know, the air quality is 20 times better. Nearly uh, 70% of all the pollution is gone, which means um, most of it is being created in the cities. And so I hope that uh, this allows people to really actually value uh, what it means to live more in line with nature and uh, and reduce our uh, reliance on fossil fuel and certainly reduce the levels of pollution and this is really key for me um, and so i i hope that it's made us more thoughtful um, i fear that it's created a lot of fear um, and, and that that is obviously going to make people very defensive however what i do know is that uh, we will see an enormous amount of people doing absolutely nothing. We will see an enormous amount of people doing absolutely everything. Mm. And so somewhere between that, we will create a new world. And uh, I certainly am being very clear on the types of things that I would like to see changed in my own life. Um, traveling, um, I'm eating less meat. Um, you know, I consume less food, and uh, and so for me, it's about uh, actually the little adjustments that we can make throughout our lives. And if we can do that as individuals, then that starts to add up uh, to an enormous amount. And so 
I think my hope is that we will continue to change all the little things because we now can, because we've proven that we can, because of how much we have changed in order to cope with the new way of life under C19. Um, maybe I would just sum it up with one, one part of what you said, live more with less. Absolutely. That's, that's one of the things that came into my mind. And while I was start telling you about bef before, you know, how people have been brilliant, humanity has been brilliant, brilliant in dividing themselves. Now we have a common thing. You've got a common problem. The whole planet, everybody has the same problem. And somehow I believe that it, this problem can bring us together. And many people, at least there's going to be a wave of people can understand that together we can do way more than separately. And um, on this note, I'm going to conclude and end this wonderful talk with an amazing person, Ralph Benke. Um, how was it? Von Benke, who was <laughs> your alter, alter ego. Baron von Benke. Baron, Baron von Benke. Well, I had the privilege to talk to Mr. Baron von Benke and um, in the same time to Ralph. So, Ralph, thank you for being a part of our show. And, uh, you know, I'm happy you took, uh, and I'm not, you took the time and you, you know, you took the, the podcast several levels further you know, as well as our previous guests have. And, uh, you know, uh, you are all inspiring, think, uh, inspiring people. I'm very grateful for having you here. And uh, yeah, thank you, my friend. Thank you, Mika. And for you, lovely listeners, thank you for tuning in and get in touch with us on the next episode of the Agitainer podcast the language agitator podcast be safe take care and if you want to hear more don't forget to subscribe this was your host miroslav mirko kusnak thank you and take care <laughs>